Heavenly Father, we do come before you again in prayer and ask for your blessing as we hear from your word. Lord, we thank you for the precious gift of having your word before us. And Lord, we pray that we may have ears to listen to what it says about your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we may go from here this morning edified in the faith as a result of hearing from your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what pleases you? What gives you pleasure? My family and I just had a most pleasing holiday. As many of you know, we went on a cruise, an eight-night cruise uh, in the Pacific Ocean, and it was pleasing to us for a number of reasons. Uh, one it includes the warmer weather. It was a bit warmer to go uh, into, uh, closer to the equator, so that was nice considering that it's winter uh, here in Sydney at the moment. There was an endless supply of food, which was most pleasing to us as well. Uh, too pleasing, really, and we had to start restricting how much we ate each day. And also, the kids' club that was on board was most pleasing to our family, uh, particularly to the kids, because they thoroughly enjoyed it. Every day, they pretty much didn't want to leave the kids' club, even when we went out to one of the islands uh, that we were visiting. Uh, after about an hour, one of our children said, can we go back to the boat and go to kids' club? They weren't interested in being at the beach. They wanted to be back on board at the kids' club. And that kids' club was pleasing to us as parents as well, because it meant that Jill and I got to spend more time together than we have ever spent before, um, except for when before Joshua was born. So we haven't experienced that much alone time. And we had dinner six nights of the eight nights on our own uh, together, and it was just wonderful because the kids just thoroughly loved this kids' club and wanted to be in it non-stop. So that is something that is an example to us of what is pleasing. Uh, it is pleasing to us to go on such a cruise. It may not be pleasing to you, uh, but it was definitely pleasing to us and our family, my, me and my family. But we have to ask the question, what gives God pleasure? We know quite often what gives us pleasure, but what gives God pleasure? And according to the passage that we're looking at today, one of the things that pleases God is animal sacrifices. And we can see that in example for you is in chapter 1 of Leviticus verse 9. In Leviticus 1 verse 9 we read, uh, that the priest is to wash the inner parts of a sacrifice and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. And then it says, it is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Pleasing to the Lord. And so here we have from God's word, God himself telling us what gives him pleasure. And that is animal sacrifices. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. What sort of sacrifices please God? Here is one example of a sacrifice that pleases God, and I want us to look at three basic examples of sacrifices that please God. And so the first one that we're going to look at this morning is an animal sacrifice was pleasing to God. And that's my first main point this morning. An animal sacrifice was pleasing to God. And if you want to follow my main points, they're there on the back of the church bulletin for you to follow along. And so firstly, we're going to unpack Leviticus chapter 1 and look at this animal sacrifice and how it is pleasing to God. What made this particular sacrifice pleasing to God? And so the first thing that we should note is that the pleasing animal sacrifice had to be a perfect male animal. The pleasing animal sacrifice had to be a perfect male animal. So firstly, we note that it had to be an animal. Uh, and so we see the three types of animals uh, that are given as examples of what would please God. Firstly, we see that a bull is spoken about in verses 3 through to 9. So uh, a cow, so to speak. 
uh, is a sacrifice that is pleasing to God, and that's there in verse 3. It says, if the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, referring to bulls, he is offered to, to offer a male without defect. And then you see it's actually a bull that's mentioned uh, further down in that, uh, that passage, in that uh, paragraph. And then you see also that if you didn't have a bull, you could offer a sheep or a goat. So a different type of animal. In verse 10 it says, if the offering is a burnt offering from the flock from either the sheep or the goats, he is, offered to, he is to offer a male without defect. So if you don't have a bull, you can offer a sheep or a goat. And then finally, we see another example of an animal that could be offered, and that's in verse 14, and that's a bird. If the offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, he is to offer a dove or a young pigeon. So here we see that if an animal sacrifice is to be pleasing to God, it has to be a particular animal. You can't offer other types of animals. It has to be these bulls, goats, sheep, or doves and pigeons that are to be offered. And then also we note that it's to be a male that is offered. And we see that in verse 3. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to offer a male without defect. Why male? Well, some people think that that's because uh, they're more special. This is a sign of virility. Uh, they're the stronger animals. And so uh, if you give a male bull, it's different from giving just a regular cow, a female uh, cow. And so this is an example of God wanting something that's more special. And so that's why he goes for the male bull and for the male goat and for the male sheep. Uh, but some people actually suggest that it's because they're actually more expendable. Uh, when you consider it, that you can actually have one male and many females in a herd, and the male can impregnate all the females, and the females are therefore of greater value. And so to give up a male is not as big a deal as giving up a female, because of course then you lose the potential young from that female. And so this may be one of God's ways of allowing uh, the, the possibility that it's not as costly uh, as if you were to give up a female. But anyway, God is very specific here and he says that it has to be a male uh, that is given. And also we note that he says that it has to be a male animal without defect. And we see that in verse 3 as well. He is to offer a male without defect. And so that means it has to be an animal that doesn't have any problems with it. Another part of uh, the the law in Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 21 speaks about this as well and gives some examples and he says God says there if an animal has a defect is lame or blind or has any serious flaw you must not sacrifice it to the Lord your God so there's some examples given as to what a defect could look like being lame being blind or some other serious flaw and so what God is saying is don't give me what you don't really want yourself if you've got a lame animal, then it's not really useful to you. And so then you think, ah, I can give this one to God. Saying, no, sacrifice must cost you something. And so give me one that doesn't have any problems with it. And so this animal sacrifice, if it's male, and if it's a particular type of animal, and it's without defect, is then pleasing to God. But then we have to ask, well, what else about this animal sacrifice made it pleasing to God? And that is where we have to look at the fact that the animal sacrifice had to be presented at the right place if it was ordered to please God. He doesn't just say sacrifice it anywhere in this section of the scriptures where he's talking about what gives him pleasure. He says, you have to give me this animal, but you have to do it in a particular way. And we see that in verse 3 as well. It says, if the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to offer a male without defect. He must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. 
It's unacceptable if you don't offer it at the tent of meeting. God is saying this particular way has to happen if it's to give me pleasure. Just like in our house, we have particular ways of doing things, and if they don't happen, well, then we are not pleased. And so we say in particular places are for particular uh, events. So like we say to our children, you cannot eat food in your bedrooms. I wasn't really um, too too caught up in this idea, but it was Jill's idea. Uh, she had it when she was growing up. I thought, yeah, you can eat food in the bedroom. There's no problem with that. But I've come to grow to like this idea because, of course, it means less crumbs, less cleaning up, less spillages uh, that can't be cleaned up from carpet very easily. And so it makes sense, no eating in the bedroom. So we have to ask, well, why is God so particular here? Why can't you sacrifice the animal anywhere and it be acceptable to God? Why does it have to be at the entrance to the tent of meeting? It's because... The tent of meeting is where God's presence was said to be. And so if you are to offer a sacrifice to God, then it has to be before him. It has to be in his presence that that offering is made. After all, it would be funny for me to say that I could, go on a, I could have pleasure from a cruise that I'm not actually on. If you're going to experience something, then you should have it in your presence. It should be done in your presence. And so God is saying, if you are to please me with an animal sacrifice, it has to be done where I am present. And that is at the tent of meeting. But what else makes this sacrifice a pleasing sacrifice? Well, we also see that the pleasing sacrifice had to be done by the right person. There's particular rules given as to what, who is to offer this sacrifice. And so we see, firstly, that the person offering the sacrifice had to slaughter the animal. We see that in verse 5. He, that's the person bringing the offering, is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. And then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The person making the offering is not spared from the blood and gore that come with making an animal sacrifice. They had to be the one that slaughters the animal. And then the priest would take the blood, sprinkle it on the altar, and then they were the ones that offered it up on the fire. And so we see that if the sacrifice is to please God, then it has to be offered in a particular way, by a particular, in a particular place, by particular people. Is there anything else? that indicates how this sacrifice is to be pleasing to God. Well, we see also that the sacrifice has to be offered in totality if it is to be pleasing to God. It has to be wholly given. And we see that as we read through this uh, paragraph in Leviticus chapter 1. Firstly, we see that the blood goes on the altar, and we see that in verse 5. He is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord, and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And then in verse 6 we see that the person is to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And then the sons and Aaron and the priests are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, including the head, you don't get to keep the head, and the fat, you don't get to keep the fat. For many people the most yummy part of the animal you don't get to keep that. It goes on the burning wood that is on the altar. Then the priest is to wash the inner parts and the legs with water. And the idea is there to really clean out that part that would have uh, most association with um, contamination from dung. And so the, the legs would be dirty and the inner parts, the, low, uh, the small intestines. And then the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. 
It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to God. The whole of the animal had to be sacrificed if it was to be pleasing to God, except for the skin. Uh, verse 6 says he has to skin the burnt offering, and, uh, and that was given to the priest, as you find out later in the book of Leviticus. So, but basically, the rest of the animal, the whole of it, goes in totality to God. And then, if this is done, if the right animal is brought in the right place by the right people and given wholly, then we see that verse 9 tells us that it is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. This is what pleases God. God himself tells the Israelites, this is what pleases me, is this kind of sacrifice. Now you may ask, well, why does this please God? Why should God be pleased with having a bull or a goat or a sheep or a pigeon or a dove killed before him? Sounds pretty brutal. Why would God be happy about this? Why would it please him? Well, this is where we have to understand what is going on with this sacrifice. What is taking place here? And the verses actually tell us what is happening here. And that's particularly verse 4. In verse 4, something very special has to happen. What happens in verse 4? It says, he, that's the person bringing the offering, is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering. And it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. The person bringing the offering has to put their hand on the head of that animal and then kill it. And when that happens, something happens. Atonement is made for the person making that offering. And what does that mean? What does atonement mean? Well, it means a covering over sin. See, what God is doing here is he's saying to the people, you are a sinful people. And he's given laws previously to the people to illustrate how sinful they are. As they look at the laws, they then see, yes, we're sinful. And then they say, well, how can I please God? How can I make God happy when I'm such a sinful creature? And God says, if you come and offer an animal and put your hand on its head, it's like the sin is transferred to that animal and that animal dies in your place where you should. The wrath that God has against you for your sin is poured out on that animal instead and it takes your place and dies on your behalf. And then God is pleased with you. You don't have to die for your sin because the animal has died on your behalf. It has taken the penalty that you deserve. And so God is then pleased with you instead of wrathful and angry with you as a result of your sin. So now you may be saying, okay, that's the Israelites in the Old Testament, but what about me today? When I look at God's word, I see, yes, that I've broken many of his laws and I'm sinful. And the word also tells me that he is quite angry about sin, that he's not a God who winks at injustice. Instead, he is very angry about those people who rebel against him. What am I to do to please God? How can I please God when I've been such a rebel against him? Am I supposed to go out and buy a cow? Somewhere here in Sydney, I wouldn't even know where you'd go to try and buy a cow. I mean, you can buy bits of a cow at the supermarket, can't you? But to buy a whole cow alive so you can put your hand on its head and then kill it? What are you to do to please God? How can you make God happy? Well, that's where 
the New Testament comes in and tells us that there is a sacrifice that has been made that is pleasing to God as well, and we can take part and have that sacrifice be for our sins. And that brings me to my second main point this morning. The sacrifice of Christ was pleasing to God. The sacrifice of Christ was pleasing to God. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was giving his life as a sacrifice for sin. But how do you know that he really was giving his life as a sacrifice for sin? How is he really fulfilling what God says here pleases him, but yet in the New Testament you say, oh, well, he's pleased with something else? Does this passage in Leviticus give us some indication that the sacrifice of Jesus was indeed pleasing to him, to God? And that's where we can see in a number of ways the sacrifice of Christ was very much like the sacrifices indicated here in Leviticus that would please God as well. How so? Well, firstly, the sacrifice of Christ was a perfect sacrifice. Remember, we looked at the animals and that they had to be without defect. And we see that Jesus Christ was without defect as well. 1 Peter 2 verse 22 says, He, that's Jesus, committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Jesus Christ was sinless. He was without defect. He was without bodily defect and then he was without spiritual defect. And so he was very much like the sacrifices spoken about here in Leviticus 1, that they were perfect sacrifices. He also was a perfect sacrifice. And then also another way that we can see that Jesus was like the sacrifices here in Leviticus 1 is that he, was, he presented that sacrifice, that, that sacrifice of Christ was presented by the right person. Remember in this passage in Leviticus 1, we see that the sacrifice had to be given by the person who was making the offering. And Jesus himself handed himself over as a sacrifice as well. He made the offering on our behalf. And we see that in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, where Jesus chooses when he dies. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And after that, he dies. He's the one that offers the sacrifice. And incidentally, you could also say that the priests were involved in Jesus' death as well. Remember, the priests are involved here in Leviticus 1. Were the priests involved in Jesus' death? Yes, they didn't take Jesus' blood and sprinkle around the altar, but they were very much involved in making sure that Jesus went to his death. The high priest condemned him worthy of death. And so we can see that there's a, a, a little type here in the Old Testament pointing to the fact that those priests would be involved in Jesus' death. But how else was Christ like the pleasing animal sacrifice here in Leviticus? Well, the sacrifice of Christ was given in totality. It was wholly given. The whole of Christ was given in this sacrifice at the cross. His body and blood was given. Jesus didn't hold anything back. He didn't just give part of himself as a sacrifice, chop off an arm or a leg. No, he gave his whole self in that sacrifice for sin. Now, he wasn't burned with fire, as we see here in Leviticus 1, though. But let's say, yes, indeed, metaphorically, his body was racked with pain. He was burnt there at the cross. He was burning as he experienced God's wrath being poured out upon him. There was a spiritual burning that was taking place there at the cross. And so he was given holy there at the cross. And what was the result then of Christ's sacrifice? Well, we know that the sacrifice of Christ was indeed pleasing to God. These sacrifices in the Old Testament were pleasing to God? Yes, but the sacrifice of Christ was also pleasing to God. 
very similar in many ways to this passage in Leviticus 1. And we see then that God says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, Paul speaks and says that Jesus gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He, Jesus was a fragrant offering. offering. He was a sweet savour in God's eyes because of his sacrifice. And in fact, the New Testament goes on to tell us that Jesus Christ's sacrifice was even greater than all the sacrifices that had come previously. Because in the end, the blood of bulls and goats and birds couldn't take away sin. They're not perfect sacrifices in the way that Jesus is that perfect sacrifice. Because Hebrews 10, verse 33 and 4 tells us, but those sacrifices speaking of the animal sacrifices, are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. A bull is not equivalent to yourself. A human being is worth much more than a bull. A human being is much more, worth more, much more than a sheep or a goat or a bird. Some people today seem to have a greater value placed on the lives of animals than they do on the lives of human beings, which is quite a sad thing. But the Bible is clear, a human is always worth much more than an animal. So those sacrifices in Leviticus 1 couldn't take away sin. Instead, they point to a need for a greater sacrifice to come, and that sacrifice is Jesus Christ, a human being sacrificed on your behalf. A one-to-one -one ratio, a human for a human, and a wonderful human in that, that he's also God himself, so he can be the sacrifice for many humans. But you may say, okay, well, how do I get Jesus Christ to be the sacrifice for my sins? How can God be pleased with Jesus on my behalf? I can't put my hand on his head. I wasn't there that day he died on the cross. How can Jesus be my sacrifice so that I can offer Jesus to God and God be pleased with me? And that's where the Bible tells us, New Testament particularly, again and again, that we must reach out and accept the sacrifice by faith. That if we trust that Jesus Christ died on our behalf, then he did. That sacrifice that Jesus made 2,000 years ago at the cross is our sacrifice. If we simply believe that Jesus Christ died in our place. And so if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to do that. If you want to please God, come before him this morning in repentance and faith, turning from your sins, repenting from your sins, saying, yes, I am a sinner, and I want to please you, God, and the only way I know I can give you pleasure is by trusting that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And if you do that, then God is indeed pleased with you because he was pleased with the sacrifice of Christ and so now he is pleased with you instead of angry with you and wrathful against you for your sin. You may be saying, okay, yes, I've done that. I've pleased God by offering Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for my sins. But is there anything else I can do to make God happy? Well, in terms of your salvation, no. The Bible is clear. Romans 6.10 says, the death he died, Jesus died. He died to sin once for all. You don't have to make up for your sins. Jesus Christ's death is sufficient for that. Remember, he was God himself, and so his death is of infinite value. There is nothing you need to add to Christ's death, and to do so is a mockery of Christ and what he has done. 
to say your works somehow are required to pay for sin says that Christ is deficient, that he's insufficient in paying for your sins. But is there, you say, what about my life? Shouldn't I do something with it to please God? And that is where the Bible is clear. Yes, you can please God by the way that you live. Not that you work in a particular way to please God so that you will have salvation from sins, but because you are saved from your sins by the work of Christ, then you should please God because that is why he has saved you. And that's my third main point this morning. You should give your life as a sacrifice pleasing to God. Not to be saved, but because you are saved. And that's coming from that passage that we had read for us earlier from Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, brothers meaning Christians, so they're already Christians, in view of God's mercy, because of what God has done for you, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do you want to please God? Do you want to worship him? Then offer your body as a living sacrifice. How is that possible? Well, it's because you have been perfected by God through Jesus Christ. Remember that Old Testament sacrifice of the animal? It had to be without defect. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are washed. You are clean in God's eyes. And then you can offer yourself to God because of what he has done for you through Jesus Christ. You are someone without defect now because of the work of Christ. And so you can offer yourself to him. And that's why God has washed us, cleaned us, created us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has saved you through Jesus Christ so that you would offer your life to him. And you can do so because he has perfected you in Christ. And like that sacrifice in the Old Testament, then you should give your whole self to God. Not to be saved, remember what I keep saying, not to be saved, but because you are saved. Remember the whole of the animal was given. That means the whole of yourself. If you are to be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God, then you must give all of yourself. What does that mean? It means all your time, your body, all your resources, your possessions, they're all meant to be for God. That means that when you go to work and are productive in the workplace, you're being productive because you're giving yourself for God. When you work hard, do a good day's, honest day's work, you do that for the glory of God. And that is your sacrifice for him. When you meet with believers, you're giving up your time that you could spend watching television or doing something else. You're giving it up. You're sacrificing your time for God. When you give up your time to study the word on your own or to spend time in prayer, that is a sacrifice that you are making to God. When you give up your money and your possessions to the work of God's kingdom. When you have people into your home and they end up breaking the teapot because, you know, we're sinful humans and we still do dumb things and you know, your possessions get broken sometimes when you have people into your home. That's just part of you giving your life to God. Yes, it does mean that things are costly when you have to make a sacrifice. I mean, that's what the concept of sacrifice means, doesn't it? If you sacrifice something, then it is costly. 
and yes, to give you your time, to give of your possessions, it's going to hurt. But remember that offering in the Old Testament? It was burnt. And sometimes it does burn, metaphorically and sometimes literally. Some people in church history have literally been burnt as a result of giving their lives for Christ and trying to be pleasing to God. But you may say, okay, then why should I bother? Why should I bother giving my life as a sacrifice to God? Well, it's as I said before, that it has to be about pleasing God. Many people sacrifice of themselves to try and please themselves. Sounds ironic, but some people hurt themselves to make themselves happy. They think that if I do all these things, I will be a happier person. And I've got no pain without some sort of gain. No gain without pain. I've got to get, have some sort of pain in my life before I'll make some sort of gain. But we're called to give our lives as a living sacrifice to God because we want to please him. And many times in the New Testament, it talks about how when we serve God in this way, by giving of our life, by spending time in prayer, by giving gifts, monetary possessions to God's work, it is a fragrant offering in God's eyes. If Philippians 4 verse 18, Paul says, I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So he's received some gifts from uh, the Philippian church. And he says, they're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. In Acts chapter 10, verse 4, Cornelius is um, approached by an angel, and an angel says to him, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. A memorial offering before God. His gifts and his prayers. Every time Cornelius prayed, apparently, the Bible tells us, that it was a memorial offering before God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 and 16 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. When you share with others, when you do good things, when you praise God with your lips, what does it say? With such sacrifices, God is pleased. And in Revelations chapter 8, verse 3 and 4, we have this account of what happens to our prayers. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. Every time you pray, it is sweet-smelling incense in the eyes of God. Prayer is hard work. It requires time. It requires you to engage your brain. But remember what it is. It is a sacrifice you are making that is pleasing in God's eyes. And so when we come to a prayer meeting or when you pray on your own, remember that. It is a sacrifice to God that is pleasing to him. So my question for you this morning is, have you put your hand on Christ's sacrifice and are pleasing to God? Have you reached out in faith and placed your hand on Christ and said, you are my sacrifice? If you have done that, then you are pleasing to God. God is pleased with you, despite the sin that you have committed against him. And then a second question for you this morning is, do you offer your life as a living sacrifice to God? Your whole life, 
Or do you keep part of your back? Remember that sacrifice in the Old Testament? The whole thing was given. Remember Jesus Christ, he gave his whole life to be pleasing to God. Do you give your whole life to God? If someone was to look at your life, would they soon see that your life is a burnt offering to God? They look at your life and they say, yes, I can see how dedicated they are to God and it must hurt them to continue to sacrifice so much. But they do it because they want to be pleasing to God because he has done so much for them in giving the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let's come before God in prayer. Let us speak with him. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and how it points us to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We praise you this morning for giving that lamb without defect, that Jesus Christ came into this world and died on our behalf. Lord, we pray that everyone in this room has reached out in faith to Jesus Christ, that they believe that Jesus Christ died for them so that they are pleasing in your eyes. And Lord, we pray that all the Christians in this room may give their whole life to you as a living sacrifice. May everything that everyone does in this room be with the purpose of giving you glory. Lord, may we be fragrant offerings before you. And may we remember this so it gives us that impetus, that drive to continue serving you all our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.